Today I've got two brilliant people again, my co-host, the fantastic Amelie Saponsky and, <laughs> and of course uh, my, my favourite, favourite professors from University of Wisconsin Parkside, Professor Simone McKinders. Thank you for coming on Human Becomings, Professor McKinders. You're welcome. I, uh, thank you. <laughs> I know, like, you know, there's a, a lot of people think, oh, you're speaking to your professor. Uh, it's going to be so intimidating. But I'm like, no, he's, he's so bloody cool. You know, I've had him in international studies and he used to do the daggy. So uh, some of the people whom I've spoken to, they're like, oh, your professor is so cool. It's like, I know, he's really, really cool. So, <laughs> so I'm really excited to have this dialogue and share this space with both of you. Uh, so I know Professor Kendis, you have been all around the world or most of the places and you always bring a very, very new perspective every time we have engaged in dialogues and you are very fond of a lot of things and music is one of it and I'd like to explore the correlation between music and identity and the importance of having music in our lives that can act as a catalyst to bring out not the child in us, yeah, of course the child in us, but that witty, quirky side in us. Well, um, thank you for having me, Mila. Uh, it's good to see you again after so many years. Um, you know, I'm going to jump straight into the topic. There are many other things that I would like to talk about with you, but maybe this is not the time and the place. So Another time. We will have tea time with Arnold. I'm coming to Wisconsin in a few months. So Okay, good. That would be great. Yeah. So, um, talking about music, um, you know, I grew up in a place where there was always a lot of music. And music for almost everything. I mean, for weddings, for uh, funerals, for any kind of ceremony, any kind of life, you know, uh, event, there, is, there was always music and the music was always loud, you know. So whether you liked it or not, music had to get into you. Um, but as I grew and as I started moving, as I, and then we were also under the influence of, um, you know, colonial, colonial music, I would say. But maybe not colonial music, music from France, you know. Uh, France was the colonizer of uh, Benin, where I come from. And um, uh, it was good to listen to music from that place. But at that point, there was also, you know, the influence of American music. Um, you know, the, the, the period of James Brown, Aretha Franklin, soul music, and all of those started coming. So music, you know, right from the beginning, because I was immersed into it, in Benin, but also because I got exposed to music from elsewhere, you know, became for me a way of cultural understanding, a way of understanding what happens around the world because it is for it is the one of the most elaborate and one of the, the most exquisite, you know, forms of human expression. So I got exposed. And when I was in high school, I got exposed to music from Latin America. It was also present in a certain way, but I had a teacher who inspired us, really, you know, who showed us another way. So we got into all of that. So music for me is a way of having access to other cultures, a way of uh, having 
access to the way people in other places, all right, feel what I feel as a human being and the way they kind of uh, release those feelings. So that's what it is. When I travel, that's what I do. The first I go, I always go with a, with a flash drive now. In those days, I used to buy a CD or two CDs or whatever, some. But now I go with a flash drive and I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to find somebody that is going to put some music on it for me. I tell, for example, I would tell a taxi driver, you look, I want music from South Africa. So how can I get it? So you know what? Bring your CDs to my hotel. I'm going to download them onto my computer. I pay you $2 per CD. And then the guy comes the next, next day with, I don't know, something like 10, 15 CDs. So that's the way I get music. And that's the way I get to know what is happening in the world. And, and I, I love it, you know, aside from uh, <clears throat> this idea that it provides some kind of pleasure and, you know, all the emotions and everything, the voice, you know, I like the voice. Apart from that, uh, I think that is, it is also one of the forms of expression of the people. Because mm. you can take everything from people, you can take the land and everything, you will not be able to take away this, the stories and the music. And, and, and that is my connection with music. That was very, very deep. <laughs> very deep. And you touched on a lot of points, Professor Akinjiz, uh, emotions, voice, expression, stories. And, and especially when we talk about voice, like uh, you mentioned something about, you know, there's music everywhere that you went in, in weddings, even in funerals. And, and that's a very important part of our lives right usually people think that oh it's funeral you just cry you don't say anything but music is also a celebration even at a funeral celebration of life celebration of depart uh you know departing uh, a celebration of the next wherever we do not know where it goes but you know departing into the higher power clouds wherever that person goes on the ground Yes, the ground as well. All the elements. You get cremated and they scary, scatter you. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned, this really resonated really well with me. You mentioned about stories and expression and it's such an important part of it. We live in a world where, you know, just not the political landscape, not just in the United States, not just with our current president, but just globally that different uh, political climates which is happening in Britain, the Brexit, uh, in, in countries of war, even in Indonesia, uh, a very religious, aggressive uh, landscape it, it is being formed. And I know, know that music brings, brings people together, just like food brings us together. I love eating, so I have to make that food connection. And music brings us together in the form of dance, expression, love, right? Like people say, oh, salsa is such a dirty dance, you know, you need to touch people, but that's, that's how you get to know people. And you mentioned about stories. When language is removed, right? Language is removed from the common language we speak, English to understand each other or, or French to understand each other, whichever is the common language. Music is a form of expression that tells stories. And I remember growing up, um, my, my grandma was gypsy. So it was always music. There were drum circles. Uh, I, I do not know people listening know what drum circles are, 
but you just get in a circle and you beat drums and other instruments and everyone plays a bit. You don't need to be a musician to beat the drum, but as a form of expression and telling a story according to how you want to tell your story. And I know Aunt Lee loves uh, culture law and she's immersed with it, you know, storytelling story and immersing, immersing oneself in, in your truest form to have a voice. So my question to you is, through expression and stories via music, how, how do people actually gain a voice in a landscape which is so chaotic right now, where everyone is actually feeling depressed currently? <clears throat> well, I think about what I've done in like my own experiences, especially in teaching. So I had, I used to work, which a lot of people maybe don't know about, but I used to work at like a high needs district in rural Arkansas. So a lot of the kids had already like, were kind of checked out of school. And it was just like, you know, they didn't want to be there. It was really hard to stay engaged because there's a lot of trauma, like growing up, there's, you know, so much stuff going on at home, you know, there's stuff going on at school. So I would try to like do something. I said, you know, what is like one thing that my kids like, and they all like rap music. That was just a the thing. They would come up and tell me, you know, this is what, you know, this rapper's doing, this is what this rapper's doing. And they're like, you know, you know, this rapper, they're from the South side of Chicago. And I'm like, you know, I, they're like, you lived close to Chicago. I was like, you know, not that close where I knew the South side, you know, but they would really like to like tell me all of these things. So I would, so I was like, you know, they keep telling me about this. So what I would have them do if like the material was super dry and they didn't like doing it anymore, I would have them like do freestyles. Like it had to be like related to the topic. So if you read like the constitution, they would freestyle about the constitution. And they'd be like, can we talk about like the president? Can we talk about like current events? And I'd be like, you know, do whatever you want, but it has to be written down, you know, afterwards. If you can try to remember just as much as possible, I'd record them. So they really liked it and they would go and they would, you know, run up to each other and be like, oh, you know, we're freestyling today and kids will walk in, we freestyle and miss us. <laughs> so, you know, they would be so excited to do it. So I think it's like how I've used it. You know, I think it gives them an identity like to actually be a student because I think that they've, you know, you know, it's like if there's suspension or they're not doing well in class, it's just like if they know that they're walking in failing and I can give you something that's engaging, you know, it makes your identity, you know, you don't feel like a bum or you don't feel like a loser, you know, someone forgot about you. And it's a way that we can, well, I personally have used it to engage kids. So, Annalie and Professor Akindis, I've got to ask, do you rap? Do you bust a beat? Do you break down? Um, just, just, just a little. <laughs> oh, you, okay, you need to give us... <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> no, I can't rap at all. I cannot, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I write little poems that I call lazy poems. You know, they are inspired from haikus. You know haiku, right? In the Japanese, mm -hmm. you know, three-line form of poetry. Uh, it's usually, the, the traditional haiku is usually about, about nature, about, uh, uh, you know, people's feelings, uh, but it is very short. So uh, the only thing I do sometimes is that I grab, I have a talking drum. Um, <clears throat> I should have brought it, but I have a talking drum. The only thing I do sometimes is uh, I, I, I recite my own little poems, all right, and I accompany myself with my talking drum. But but rapping, I don't know, uh, it's another generation. And then there's something that 
um, I usually think that it is too fast. Mm. And then it doesn't give you time to, I mean, it's like commercials, you know, you have a succession of images and then you go, you go through all of them and then you have, you don't have time to pause and think about anything, you know, really. So there, there's too much that is compacted, you know, in, in a rap song and, 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 uh, and, but, but uh, I, I, I like, I like rappers. I like rappers because they keep, they, they don't necessarily educate our, educate us, but what they do is that they awaken our consciousness. You know, that is, that is very important. You know, just by saying one or two lines, you know, you get to know, you get to understand, and that's what we need, you know. <clears throat> Education, that's okay. Facts, that's okay. But we have to be awakened to the world around us. And rappers, they do that, and not only in the United States, but they do that all around the world. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, it's a form of identity. But you know what? One thing that is very interesting in the case of rap is that it is currently the most widely performed type of musical style. You go to Singapore, you go to China, you go to Russia, you go to West Africa, you go to, uh, I don't know, uh, the Middle East, you know, rappers are there and the rap rappers are talking. They are talking, they are saying what is happening on the ground. And before professors and researchers, they come and, and study and, and pretend that what they are doing is scientific, all right? You know, the rappers have already, you know, seen, described, analyzed all these things, right? So that is, that is, that is, that is very, very, very important. You know, um, I, I, I know, you know, there are other musical styles, you know, that kind of tell people's stories, people's identities. Um, I don't know if you know about uh, La Nueva Concion in Chile, and then uh, it, is, it is still, it is very much, you know, uh, it's come back in force now. It was music that was used in the time of uh, the dictator, you know, uh, Augusto Pinochet uh, against, you know, the dictatorship, against, you know, the people that were missing, against the, uh, the police brutality, against police brutality and all of that. And now it's coming again. You know, I don't know when you were talking about these times being very dark and everything. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that I would say that these times are bad because the, the presence of, you know, Trump's and then the presence of this right wing movements around the world, this nationalist movement around the world is certainly an indication that they are still there, but it is also an indication that people have to fight against them. And the fight is on. I mean, if you look at Latin America, for example, you know, in Chile, in Colombia, in Ecuador, you know, the fight by uh, indigenous people to just have a voice, to just tell their stories, to just exist, you know, that fight is on. So it's a lot of hope, you know, um, Trump believes that, well, maybe he owes the world, but that is not true. The world, the world is beyond him. He, he may not be, he's just a little piece in the world at this time, I think. You bring a very, very uh, heartful point. I say heartful point as in it really impacts and hits your heart at, at a very emotional level. You mentioned that music brings people together and allows them to tell a story. 
it, you are so right. Uh, I do not know if you know Ice Cube, who Ice Cube is, or Cube. <laughs> so, and they sang about police brutality, and you're so right. And groups like that, you know, they sang about uh, police brutality, and there are groups like Michael Jackson. I'm a fan of Michael Jackson. <laughs> he sang about, you know, making the world a better place, and Pink Floyd too. They sang about, you know, uh, Trump in, in different contexts, but, you know, how we need to come together. And there are huge movements that come together via music. And you're so right. Even before researchers and professors go to school and do research and come out, uh, our artists in the form of rap, in the form of music, in the form of musical storytelling are speaking the truth. And they are dropping truths bomb, as what the lingo goes just to bring awareness, right? And you see people buying this music and coming together, uh, making, forming all these social movements, social movements giving people a chance to have their voice being heard, have a chance for them to really make the invisible visible again through music and storytelling. You know, a few a few weeks ago, maybe ten days ago, uh, maybe ten days, two weeks ago, uh, I can't remember the date exactly, but uh, but in the past two weeks anyway, in Chile there was a big demonstration, and then there was uh, an old band that is called Inti Limani that used to. Uh, to lead, if you want, the cultural fight against uh, the di dictatorship. And then there was a song, there's a song that they, I mean, they didn't write the song, but, you know, it was through them that the song became so popular in, um, in, in Chile. And then that song was out again. And the same band, you see these old people, you know, with the guitars and everything in, a, with, in front of a crowd of, uh, I don't know, close, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people singing the song. And maybe you have heard this song, at least this phrase in the song. It's, it is, um, a pueblo unido jamás será vencido. A pueblo unido jamás será vencido. Which means the people United will never be defeated, all right? And uh, uh, so this is the thing, this is the power of music, if you want. And I'm interested in music in that sense, you know, as a way of resisting, you know, the cultural domination, all right? That's, that's, that's why I, I go everywhere and then I collect music from other places as a way of resisting the cult cultural domination uh, of, of, uh, of uh, a certain group, all right? And then also as a way of expressing themselves, because the simple fact that they are expressing themselves in their languages with their instruments means that they exist, you know, and that they want to exist. And it also means that the stories that were written before uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the trouble they went through, all of that is recorded there, all right? And it is not official history because official history tends tends to to cut off a lot of things, right? So that is that is my connection to music. Apart from the fact that it makes me dance, you know, when I'm in situation and then, you know, I, I, I like dancing. It's part of it. We dance. We dance for everything. Yeah, 
You know, I, I love dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's why I kind of thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about how, well, because we both study, you know, political science. And I was like, you know, we sit there and it's like we define terms all the time. And it's always like, how many different ways can I define resistance? How can I argue against somebody else who's defining resistance? How can I argue about, you know, what these terms mean? And it's like, while we're talking about terms, arguing amongst ourselves, it's like we miss what the actual essence of what we're studying is. So I think it is really good that we're kind of having this conversation right now because I always like music as resistance. People love, you know, they'll say, you know, Pink Floyd, that's great resistance music or, you know, whatever. I like to, you know, really listen to rap and really like see how like people are talking about the communities. Cause I think it's really empowering to have that written down. So I think it's like that we, I need to see more of the nitty gritty. And I think that's maybe a way to grow in like a bunch of disciplines is to actually talk about what the people are saying. Cause I think that we get, you know, in our ivory tower, and we like to talk about our credentials and we lose the people. We really lose people. I, I live. Yeah. Sorry, go I, ahead. This is, this is very deep what uh, Anneli is saying here because, yeah, it is. It is. Are you, are you, are you laughing? No, I said this one, you know, I didn't expect anyone no. to say this is very deep. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very deep. It's very deep because, you know, uh, in many of the things that we do, especially with this talk about modernity, this talk about growth, uh, this talk about learning and everything, um, we tend to lose sight of, uh, of people, as simple as that. You know, you know education, you know, we go into, in, into a classroom and then we have uh, all our technocratic, you know, uh, things that's, that are put in place, uh, our order, um, you talk, you talk about assignments, curriculum, and everything, but all those little things can be actually part of what makes us adapt to the world and comply, all right? So uh, education is very important in the sense that you have to be able to understand how all these little things work with power, and they, they help establish you know, the power of uh, dominant groups, all right? So uh, what you were saying is that by focusing on people, it's not just what you do. It's not just that you have to do an assignment. What is the connection between an assignment and people and the lives that we live? You know, there is a, there is a, a famous educator. He's, he's British. His name is Ken Robinson. Um, he, he says that, you know, he was in a classroom once uh, and then... Um, no, was yeah, and then uh, the, I don't know. I can't remember if he was in the classroom, but anyway, in the classroom there was a teacher who was always telling her students to follow, you know, to follow, to uh, to be in the classroom, you know, that to to do what the, the others are doing. But the girl was always in her corner, and then she was drawing and drawing and drawing, and then uh, one day uh, the teacher asked, "Well." What are you drawing about all the time? See, now I'm drawing God. And the teacher said, but God, nobody knows what God looks like. And the girl said, well, just wait a minute. You will see what God looks like, you know? <laughs> so what he was saying is that, is that those are the ways in which you unleash, you know, the potential of people. Because all the teachers, Ken Robinson says that all the teachers, 
you know, that had the Beatles all the time in the classrooms. They never knew that this guy could be musicians, you know. So if you observe very well in the classroom, if you are not stuck with all your procedural, you know, steps and everything, step-by-step -step instructions and stuff like that, you're going to see what is happening in the classroom. So it's, it's very important. And then eventually, what link do you make between the classroom and, and the outer world? Because we cannot look, everything that is happening outside is present in the classroom. Whether it's racism, whether it is uh, ethnicity, whether it is power, uh, the dominance, the cultural dominance of a group, all of that is present, present in the classroom with our students. So the question is, we want to unleash people's potential, but we also want them to be able to take care of their neighbors. Because if you cannot, because taking care of your neighbor is like taking care of the world. If every neighbor takes care of his or her neighbor, then the world is taken care of. So if education cannot lead to that, then what is it for? <laughs> you went deep, like deep, deep, deep. Right. Now, I, I love what you, you shared about the analogy, right? Like the student was drawing about God and the teacher saying, how do you know what God looks like? And this is the adopted mindset that most of us have been conditioned into. I don't know what religion, whatever religion someone you know, practices or observes. And I know growing up, my parents have always been like, there's only one God, right? That's whatever the God is to you, there's only one higher power. But it's also important to respect everyone else's beliefs, uh, even if we disagree with it. And it was really interesting. My parents sent us to like Sunday schools uh, to learn about just re exposed to religion. And it was really interesting to go into different uh, religious groups and people saying, oh, you're not one of us. Oh, you're not one of us. But what does one of us actually mean? Right? I, I, I do not know what one of us means. And, and we speak about cultural domination, and that is what happens uh, even from a very religious perspective. And you mentioned about even in classrooms, and that's so true. Even in classrooms, when we express about a certain topic, let's say in political science class, uh, I, I know I took one political science class on Lee, and we were talking about something. Uh, I, oh my God, what's his name? I can't remember the professor. <laughs> oh, Dr. Olson. That was yes, so Dr. yes. And uh, I disagree with something, and and he looked at me and he laughed. I was like, "Oh, okay." So, and it made me feel awkward, right? It really made me feel awkward. But these are all the micro micro behaviors that we forget. That oh, uh, by you know laughing or by saying, "How do you know what God looks like?" Or even in classroom. I found myself in situations where people have said, how do you know? You do not know anything what you're talking about. Like dismissing, right? And when someone dismisses someone else, that, that contributes to strengthen cultural domination. Uh, and, and that goes back to having a voice, how, you know, having a voice, uh, storytelling via music. But it's interesting that you mentioned how that teacher said, how do you know? what God looks like. And that can be translated into different formats, right? How do you know? You're, you're not a doctor, so how do you know? You're, you're not, you didn't go to college, how do you know? 
uh, you didn't take 404 class communication, how do you know? You didn't take 405 political science class, how do you know? That narrative that we are so conditioned to kind of eliminate someone's identity as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. No, I really do, because I think that we live in, it, it's like we live in a very interesting age, because like where we need experts to say everything. But at the same time, there's like a camp of people who don't listen to experts at all. So it's like, how do we, I don't know, how do we get the truth? You know, I think that's like the interesting thing is this we're dismissing or if we need like these high criteria or it's just like, you know, somebody needs, you know, so many degrees to be able to say something for me to trust them. And it's like, well, it leads to a lot of questions. How accessible is that education? You know, how is someone prepared to like, you know, do these things, to write these publications, to, you know, do the research. And it's like, I think it goes to something deeper that none of us really want to talk about is that like education inequality is a really big thing. So how do we give everyone kind of equal footing, especially in the United States, you know, thinking about how education is funded. So I think we really need to look, it's like anyone can be a thinker. Anyone can pose the good questions and you don't necessarily need a degree to ask questions that are going to help us discover more about our world. So I think that, you know, there's people who are in, you know, high need school districts, there's, you know, that have like, just as good of brains as anyone else, you know, a kid in Pine Bluff can be just as smart and can ask just as like illuminating question as a kid in like, I don't know, Kenilworth in Illinois. So like they can ask these questions, they can ask the exact same question, but it's like, where do our biases, you know, come into where we don't take one as seriously or we don't give one the access to resources to really be, you know, to really have, you know, access to like the resources to really, you know, do something, you know? Yeah, the question is important. I mean, uh, it is not the answer that matters. It is the question, all right? So the idea is that when somebody asks a question, it's because they do not, they see something different. They see what you do not see, maybe. Or maybe they see what you see, but they need to have some kind of clarification about what they see. When somebody asks a question, it's because it is necessary for the advance of knowledge. You know, if you don't ask a question, then everything is already right. Everything is already done. So, you, you know, the, everything is finished, you know. But the reality is that nothing is finished. And even what we call reality is, is in constant movement, it's constant change. You know, the tree that is there today, maybe tomorrow is not going to be there, or maybe because of the climatic, you know, condition is going to change completely. So everything is, is just in some kind of uh, uh, movement, all right? So the question is very important in education, very, very, very important, more than the answer. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, the kind of uh, educational culture that we have is based on uh, instructions. You have step-by-step -step instructions and the teacher, the student has to follow instructions. And then when the student is following instruction, then he's a good student. When he's not following instruction, then he's not a, a good student. And then we're going to give them, to evaluate the work on the basis of that. You know, we have all these little, little things in education. I'm glad that, uh, you know, Anali had a, a taste of all of that. <laughs> we have a lot of, of, lot of little things in education that are just meant to reproduce the system, all right? And they, they, are, they, are, they are meaningless 
they are really meaningless when you look at the long run, when you look at the impact it can have, you know, over time on students, what they can do with it. It is completely meaningless, but we keep doing them uh, very diligently, sometimes because that's what gives us promotion and things like that. So it's a very complex thing, all right? Uh, education, edu education as it is now, I don't know. Um, if we could promote imagination, you know, innovation and more creativity from our students and not link all of that to hierarchies, who is smarter, who, need, who deserve to have a, a, a spot here in this or that university, I think we're, we're going to get the best for our world, I think. But again, as I say, there's always an ethical dimension to it. The human being has to be the final, the beginning and the end of education, all right? Otherwise, it is not, it's not necessary. I love the point that you just made, Professor Akinis, about, you know, we, we give credit to students, whether they are listening to us or not listening to us, we gauge their performance. Right. And to a point, to a point that we actually treat our students or in the education system, we treat uh, young minds or growing minds, regardless at what stage their mind is at. When they come to a space of education, we always kind of gauge as to um, do they speak proper. That uh, like unconscious bias that lies within. Right. I've experienced it so many times where people hear me speak they're like oh you're an international student so you're not really supposed to the american way what the bloody hell is the american way mm -hmm. right and oh, oh i've seen students where you know they're not good at maths or science and teachers kind of like label them as you're not good enough but what what do you mean by you're not good enough and we're forgetting that really important awakening conscious awakening to really realize that each of us, we are unique. Like, I can't be Professor Akindis. I can't be you. I can't be Anli. Your minds are brilliant. Your minds are unique, right? Like, I can't, I can't figure out what you're going to think or what you're going to say because that's how beautiful we are each created, right? It's like, I can't run. For the life of me, I can't run. I, I can walk. But... <laughs> but <clears throat> how can you walk without being able to run? <laughs> running just isn't fun. No, it's like after, after like 30 seconds, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm getting out of the treadmill or I'll stop <laughs> running. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying too, because I remember that, especially when like I was working in education, and I remember that people would get upset with the kids because the kids would use slang or they would not use in the way that, like, you know, if I'm writing an academic paper, right, they're not using, you know, correct grammar, everything's perfect, or like, you know, these words are just so grand. And I remember people would be like, you know, use the right language. And I remember I get so frustrated because they're like, do you know what they're saying? Like, you know what the kids like are meaning, you know what they're saying, you know, like what the message they're trying to get across. Now you're just being, I mean, it's demeaning if, you know, nobody wants to hear, you know, you don't speak right, you can't talk right, you know, you're this and it's just, they're just trying to communicate. They're just trying to have a conversation just like any of us would have. And it's, you understand, and it's just a way to really maintain those power dynamics. And it's really interesting how we use language. And I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of kids really like music because they can just be themselves, right? They don't need to worry about the language. They don't need to worry about, you know, getting a grade or, 
you know, someone's going to say something back to me and say that this is awful or whatever, maybe they will, but it's already been done. And so I think that that's their expression because I think that a lot of us are, a lot of people really cut other people down through language. And I think music gives us the opportunity to stay afloat in this life. I love that. And I love that, Professor Akinzis, you, you mentioned about the tree, right? The, the tree's not going to be there tomorrow and it's evolving. And that's the important point that we are forgetting and asking questions and also forgetting to realize what can the tree, the, a tree is just not a tree, right? A tree are the roots, the tree bears fruits, the tree provides oxygen to us. Um, it takes in carbon dioxide. It, it's a very integral, important team player. I say team player <laughs> for the earth, right? It's just, it's just like in, in a school system or any community or practice that we belong to, how do we evolve? We only evolve when, when we actually have the conscious realization of whom we are, what we can add, what we can give, and not just what we can take and take and take and block everyone else and say, oh, I'm the boss, you bloody listen to me. That, But I, I love the tree analogy that you, you mentioned. It's like the tree is not going to be there tomorrow, just like how we are not going to be here tomorrow. But let's focus on how we can evolve and plant our seeds in such a way without ego. When I say ego, I'm not talking about the confidence side. I'm talking about not the false confidence, but the confidence that I can contribute, I can help, I can lift someone else up in that context. Well, you said something that is true. We are all uh, individuals in a way, but, but there is more that we have together than we do not have. Uh, <clears throat> you know, in terms of uh, uh, nature, you know, uh, usually, you know, the big modernist view has been that we have to tame nature. We have to make nature serve us. So we are kind of God-like, you know, God may be in the sky and everything, but we are kind of God-like and nature is down there. And then we have to do everything that we can to make nature serve us. And uh, this, is, this is what has led to this world in which we are now that has become unsustainable in a certain way. Uh, <clears throat> but we need to understand that we are part of nature. We are just a little element in nature. And when there is a tsunami, it comes and takes everybody away without even asking us in a very democratic way what <laughs> we should, what, what we want to do, all right? So we don't understand that we are part of nature. And then if we understand that, I think we have a better relationship, not just with nature, but we have a better, better relationship with each other also. You know, uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it, is, it is unfortunate that uh, we want to control nature and control everything. And then in our attempt to control nature, we control people. I mean, when the colonizers were going around the world, that was the, that was the idea, you know, it was, not that, it was not that there were other human beings over there. It was not that there were other people in, that had, you know, the same feelings as we had, that had the same needs as we had, you know, when they were going around the world, well, those people, we could dispose of them because we want them to serve us. We want their labor, we want their resources, we want their land, and they're going to serve us. So uh, 
that, that is something that, you know, uh, we need to put in our educational system one way or another. You know, um, it's not easy, it's tough, uh, but it is worth trying. Very well put. And, and it ties all back to the points that you made earlier when we started talking, not losing sight of people. Right, um, caring for your neighbour and caring for who's whoever is within your circle or out of your circle. When we do not, that was Annalise's point. I just, oh. I, 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 <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> but, both of your points. <laughs> my, my, po I'm writing notes. <laughs> so, I just just off the dome here, you know. Yeah. So, and that's really important to to really value each other, right? Just like how we value nature and not, well, most of us value nature and not like, oh, produce more milk cows or produce more meat chicken, not that kind of a mindset, but truly valuing each other because that's how we truly learn and we truly grow, right? Even, even when we do not want to grow, but that whole point of, valuing for each other even when we care at a very very micro level uh you know sharing gra gratitude or holding the door for someone or just buying tea for someone else who is standing at the back of the queue that is that kind of triggers that whole acceptance level of i care for you and or i love you and i'm not talking about love as in oh let me kiss you let me have a romantic thing that you know love as in that different languages of love on the end you spoke about this love language before but just that true essence right like eliminate all that superficial things like oh, i want to live in a big house i want uh this mercedes bands i want to travel around the world and have instagram moments just eliminate all of that and our truest core human form is having a shelter having love Loneliness, loneliness kills people and just acknowledging like shelter food, companionship, having someone to care for you, um, that truly promotes that integral ecosystem. I, I feel that truly enables a, an environment of, of just thriving. I agree. I agree. No, I think that that's just, you know, thinking about how we can care for each other and thinking of it like beyond like necessarily what I need or how people can serve me. Because I've seen it a lot where a lot of people will go and they will just, you know, I'll do nice deeds and then the person will, you know, do stuff afterwards for me. And it's like, you know, how do we start really caring for each other selflessly? And I think that's a big thing that we need to think about is like, you know, how can I just do good just to do good? And not even like I'm doing good, because that's what I hear a lot of people say, you know, I do good because it makes me feel good. And, you know, and I always kind of have a little, I pause, it gives me pause because I don't want to do things because it makes me feel good. I want to do things because it just is good. I don't need to have anything, you know, anything that benefits me. It's just if you can make the world easier for someone else, why not just do it? You know, if you can make something easier, you know, make their life, you know, a little bit less stressful, just do it. You know, I just don't understand why we always need something. It has become a very transactional action, right? Yeah, it's, well, I loved having both of you 
on human becoming. So, Professor Kinders, it's it's always such a pleasure exploring your mind, uh, your heart, and you're deep, deep in it. 